Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With Science. Football or soccer, whichever you prefer, has not been shy in embracing technology. Goal line tech and GPS tracking have been staples of the modern game for years. But what is on the cutting edge? What are we going to see in the 2018 World Cup in Russia and beyond? Yes, Mm. and beyond is exactly where we'll go for our answers as we talk to Jeff Saunders, CEO of Beyond Sports, a sports tech company that works with current world champions Germany and English Premier League giants Arsenal. I think you know those guys. I do. Um, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but we respect the club most definitely. Right. And giving us a totally unique, well, that was my bias anyway, giving us a totally unique and detailed insight into the official World Cup ball after having put it through its paces is our very good friend, Professor Eric Goff, who has just published a paper on exactly this subject. Yeah. And it's a long one. It is. And very detailed. Yes. Lots of equations. Yes. Which he will explain, not me. (laughs) There we are. Right. Joining us by video call is Beyond Sports CEO, Jeff Saunders. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Yes. Always great to have the tech side of sport with us. So what is Beyond Sports Tech? What sets your tech apart from tech being used by other teams, other sports? I think first and foremost, we're we're the only company that's doing exactly um, you know what what we are doing in the sports space. What we do is we take uh, tracking data and we turn that into virtual reality worlds where teams, uh, coaches can train, um, can analyze um, all parts of their uh, of their game. Broadcasters can bring immersive experiences to uh, to broadcast audiences, and fans, of course, can experience the game um, like never before from any perspective on the field. Wow! So you really have created a virtual world for sports. I mean, this is almost every ex- every perspective being represented, and what in the game. Now, are you primarily soccer? Is that, or are you doing every sport? I think yeah, we started in in soccer or football, Gary. Just so you don't you know yes. get lost in the conversation. Um, we uh, we started in, in soccer and um, about three three and a half years ago, um, made a lot of great inroads in, in Europe with national teams, with leagues, uh, with clubs, um, uh, and now we're pivoting into to other sports. Um, we work in in uh, cycling currently as well as soccer and uh, soon to be in basketball and uh, American football. Ooh. So not only is the experience holistic experience, you're now branching out horizontally and vertically within the sporting world. So how are teams, how are coaches, how are athletes? I'll call them athletes because we've gone into more than one, one area here. Are they benefiting? Are they engaging with your technology? Because there must be a specific reason or several as to why they're hooked into your, uh, your company's tech. Yeah, I think from, um, you know, from a performance standpoint, we like to, to speak about what we do as, the, as cognitive uh, training. So if you can quantify uh, cognitive acuity and cognitive function, then you can train it. Um, and so we've been able to utilize, again, the, uh, the, the tracking data that is now pretty ubiquitous across um, the sporting scene and professional leagues. We've used that to create these environments where now we can tap into and then train um, cognition in professional athletes. And I think that's, 
that's really the important, um, you know, point of, of what we do is, you know, we're moving from what has been up to this standpoint, a lot of data that has come out um, and utilized in, in the sports realm, um, but it's mostly on the physical parameters of performance. And now we want to move into trying um, to understand more about the uh, cognition parameters um, within yeah. sports and, I, and athletes. I saw a video um, on your site about a young player. He was looked look to be, uh, he might have been a middle schooler. I don't even think this kid was in high school. And uh, using the tech to make, to help with decision making. So kind of what you're talking about right there from yeah. a cognitive standpoint. And um, uh, he was given different scenarios. Um, and then he was shown different perspectives uh, from the field and above. And I was able to help him figure out what his best choice uh, was. So, you know, how do you come up with the scenarios? Are these real game scenarios that you're presenting to these players to help them with the cognition aspects of their game? Yeah, they're, they're, uh, exa they're exact moments from games, let's say first team games. So in Arsenal's case, Arsenal is one of our um, you know, primary uh, customers, league customers. And we recreate um, in real time, if need be, the exact replica in a virtual world of the game that's ongoing or has been played. Wow. Um, so so once, you, once you have this virtual world, if you can imagine, then you um, as a player or a coach or even a fan can be placed in any perspective. You can see the game as Ozil sees the game. Um, and you can experience um, what went, you know, what was going on on the pitch um, at the moment that a particular decision was made. Um, so what it allows young players, as you're referencing in the academy of Arsenal or one of our other clients, Azed Alkmaar in, in Holland, um, they train their academy players on a certain, um, you know, certain curriculum that allows them not only to um, to make decisions, but to discuss why decisions um you know were made or should be made so the, the the takeaway from it is that we're you know we're able to train at a much younger age now players to recognize um you know pattern recognition uh, spatial awareness you know we always we always talk about you know you have to check your shoulder to receive more information in 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 soccer um but if you're put into a virtual world where that is the difference between um making a specific decision or uh you know a correct or incorrect decision from the from a team's perspective, then you again can start to do the rep, you know the reps and the uh, uh, repetitions of these kind of decision-making opportunities, um, and then you get a basis for for learning and also a basis for quantifying um, how a specific athlete, whether it be a um, you know a first-team player or whether it be academy player, how well do they um, um, you know how 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 functional is their cognitive abilities? Yeah. Jeff, in one leap, you've landed on the moon. You've taken this giant step. I'm now sitting here as a former player thinking, what would I do if I'm 15, 16 years of age? I wouldn't be close enough to the first team to have experience of playing. But you can give me that experience as a teenager, pop me straight into a, game. Into a real game. I'm getting game speed. Because I can tell you, you're used to playing academy games. Right. The pace is a lot slower. You're in the slow lane. Yeah. Then yeah. you kind of come up a bit into a development squad that's under 23, and then the big boys kick in. This, you're just 
all of a sudden doing 200 miles an hour in the fast lane and a lot happens very, very quickly. You can watch a game on TV and it looks quite slow. Put yourself in it and there's no time to think. What you're doing is building thinking time through repetition and understanding familiarity. No wonder the guys love this. Do you have players come to you after games and say, I want to see that back. Can you put me back in my virtual world? Wow. And then I can see where I should have been and done. Do they come to you and do that already? Yeah, I think there's a mix. There's there's players who who um, you know really um, yearn for additional information and training, uh, and then there's obviously performance and coaching based staff who who feel that certain you know certain players need to be put in those situations as much as possible to to accelerate the, the learning process. So, um, you know, as an example, you were talking about being a 15 or 16 year old. Who um, who can't necessarily physically cope with um, you know first team football uh, uh-huh. from a physical perspective? All of a sudden, we can put them in that same environment as you said with the game speed, um, and then you can train them cognitively. And cognitive, cognitively, a player of you know 13, 14, 15, 16 can, can you know can keep up with um, you know the cognitive functions happening from a first team player. So when if the game speed is, is is exact and the spacing is exact and all the kind of, you know, if you think about it, the parts within this virtual world are are um, authentic to the, the real game environment. Yeah. Then um, you can start to see, OK, which you know, 13 year old has, um, you know, has a high aptitude. Uh, on the cognitive side, which 14-year-old is better at pattern recognition, and um, and 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 then which in which 15-year-old actually finds solutions that maybe other players haven't found, or even your first-team players haven't found. So there's no answer per se, but if you're able to put them in that environment, then when they become physically capable at let's say 18, 19 to um, to compete with the first team or uh, play with the first team cognitively they've already been there for years it's like jedi warrior training what's that it's like jedi warrior training yes you you have like young padawans that you're uh you know teaching to be jedi it it is i mean yeah the other thing well lightsaber training (laughs) without the saber it is it's pretty it's pretty much going in that direction i'm just sitting here now and the thoughts occurred to me the team that wins the world cup in russia in 2018 is it the team with the best tech or is it the best team that wins, in well, your opinion. In our opinion, it's it's both. It's 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 the team that has the best tech, which is certainly um, Germany, who they are clients. Um, they will be bringing Beyond Sports uh, VR analysis and training tools to Russia with them. They've been uh, signed um, a contract with us late last year, and um, for the for the purposes of of having a competitive advantage, you know, at the World Cup. So our staff, our team will be there with them. Um, I also think they have a pretty, um, a pretty um, substantial, uh, you know, technical and physical uh, roster. So I think they're going to do all right, even without our tech. But we think that the, you know, that the addition of the Beyond Sports tech will help them. Uh, I think in the British understatement, Jeff, I would go with they have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Yeah. What would you rather have Ooh. in the World Cup? One team thoroughly trained, every scenario cognitively superior, familiar with every unfolding scenario that could happen in a game. Mm. The other team plays basically on their instinct, but 
superior in every way physically. They are faster. They are stronger. They are, I'll say, tougher. Uh, which your favorite identical twin? Yeah, exactly. So which one would you rather have? Who would you throw your money on? And you got a World Cup game. This is for all. Oh. This is for the big one. Yeah. And you got one team. These guys, they can recognize any situation. They can play. They're more heady than any other team. But the other team, faster, stronger, tougher. And, you know, and they're good. I mean, they're good players, but they, they just don't have that kind of training. Who would you rather go with? Well, I think it's really a question of, of how do you see the evolution of, of sport, really? And with the advent of you know, dad driven, um, you know, analytics that uh, I think is pervasive amongst sports uh, and, and the industry that I work in, of course, um, we tend to weight, you know, more and more the you know, cognitive strength of, of players and teams. Uh, you know, my, you know, my growing up, my, um, my love was for, for teams that were, you know, one step ahead all the time and were collectively, obviously, um, maybe more cognitive than, than their opponents. You know, you think of, of the Dutch in the seventies yeah. or, you know, potentially the Hungarians before that, um, you, you know, there's obviously some great teams in, in the eighties, uh, on the club level. Um, so again, it's, it's, I think it's a more of a personal preference and situational. I think you'd probably find a, 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 a team that was physically superior would win, you know, uh, four times out of uh, 10 and maybe, uh, you know, four times out of 10, a cognitively superior team would win. And the other two would just be, uh, you know, would just be a toss-up. Toss up. So. Mm, okay. Interesting. All right. Interesting. So, Jeff, we are here now in 2018 discussing what we think, or what I think is incredible in terms of cognitive skill development through VR. Where are you going to be working, not physically, but in terms of the tech, five years' time? Where's this headed? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great it's a great question that we, we talk about all the time. Um, our evolution as a, as a company and our product basically said we had to allow um, professionals and professional teams the ability to see the game from any perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that very quickly migrated to, well, if the uh, players and, and staff could see the game from any perspective, why can't a fan see the game and experience a game from any perspective? So we work with broadcasters now. Fox Sports is one of our big clients okay. um, in Holland. So they are delivering our vantage points and our views to uh, linear broadcast audiences now. Um, twice twice on every game day weekend, they use our tech within their analytics and their color commentating um, during games, halftime games, post games um, to, you know, to give, you know, the, the, the more casual fan um, this same type of experience. So that's one thing where it's going. Uh, um, the second area is directly to consumers. Um, we feel that there's going to obviously be a huge, um, huge market um, for you know consumers who want to consume this type of content, want to create their own content, uh, want to see who they think like, want to put themselves in the position of Messi or Ozil or Iniesta or whatever it may be. Um, and uh, those people who want to relive specific moments. So can I see uh, the Philly special uh, in the Super Bowl? Can I see it from Foles' perspective, the quarterback who 
turned into a receiver for for probably one of the most iconic plays in Super Bowl history. Yes. Do I want to be Nick Foles? Yes, I think I would. Um, and I think a lot of people would like to relive things like that. So I feel there's, there's all this kind of um, consumer-based um, immersive uh, experiences that, that are going to come um, very quickly. I think there's going to be a lot of analytically driven use for what we do. Um, right now, we can... Um, we can give insights to teams and coaches that just aren't available uh, now. Opponent scouting. So imagine you can now scout your by actually playing against them prior to the game. Yeah. Um, so that's huge. You know, just that's a huge advantage if you want to play against a left back and you're a, a seven or eleven. Um, you know, playing on the wing. You know how how you know, how can you prepare? Well. I could play against that actual player, or at least I could, from a you know game perspective or game speed perspective, play against uh, an avatar that is uh, or a situation that is that player. So I think there's there's you know there's many return to play from injuries. You know, you know part of the physical rehabilitation process, keeping your cognitively keeping yourself uh, fit, um, which people you know maybe up to now haven't. Discounted. There's a huge Gary. You would know as well. There's a huge difference between, um, you know, physically rehabilitating yourself and mentally being. Oh yes, without ready. a doubt, without a doubt. I'm I'm just sitting here getting chills because I'm thinking, if I'm 18, 16 years of age right now, I am so desperate for this tech. I am so desperate to find out what it's like to be where I've always thought I want to be. That's a an international Premier League player playing in La Liga, Bundesliga, whatever it is. And you can actually give that to me. I can bring myself to a higher level of performance. How long? Did, well, each individual is different, but it's amazing what you've just done. I'm just thinking now, how soon before fans can be li- almost live, the players that you've just discussed and be in a virtual world watching it. That's got to be the ultimate. To, to take a fan in the armchair, watching a game, and yes, I'm a quarterback, I'm hitting home runs. I'm slam dunking. I'm scoring goals. Wow! I'm just happy. Yeah, that's that's that, actually Gary. That's actually not so far off. Yeah. Um, you know, we do we do that right now. Our technology is real time, so we're actually our latency for all the the you know the tech folks listening. That you know our latency is zero point oh one four seconds. So we're pretty much live quicker than the broadcast feed because we're we're basically interpreting X Y Z coordinate data which is uh, you know, obviously quicker into our system than um, any, any you know, linear broadcast video that's, that's going over the, the airwaves. So we can do that. You can, you, can, you can theoretically be in the head of a player you know, pretty close to, to live. Wow. wow. That's pretty wild, man. It's pretty wild. How long before Chuck and I get these things? Next week. Say next week. Hey, <laughs> say next week. Come, Let's go with next week. Know? Let's go with next, next week. Next week is fine. Okay, there next we go. All right. Feels All done. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Jeff, right. what a hey, pleasure. Hey, Thank hey, you. So cool uh, to talk to you, You've opened my eyes, and I know Chuck's got a thrill out of this. I think our listeners are going to love it as well. Uh, we wish you, Beyond Sports, and everybody the very best of luck, and uh, we are going to be glued to the World Cup in Russia, that's for sure. 
Uh, well, well, thank you for having us. And, um, you know, of course, if uh, if Germany wins, it will be all because of Beyond Sports. And there you go. That's exactly. it. We like that. That's, yes. that's a man who knows how to market. Thank you to Jeff Saunders, CEO of Beyond Sports. We are going to take a break. When we come back, Professor Eric Goff gives us the physics behind this year's official World Cup ball, the Adidas Telstar 18. And if you've heard of Telstar before, mmm, bit of a space link to that one. Just a little bit. We'll explain when we get back. Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Gary O'Reilly. And this is still... Chuck Nice. <laughs> and this is still playing with science. <laughs> yes, it is. Hope you're with us and not too confused. Right, joining us now, we're talking soccer. And to do that, we have Professor Eric Goff, the author of Gold Medal Physics and Press for Physics at Lynchburg College in Virginia. Um, okay, what is on the horizon, Professor, as regards the new Telstar 18 for the World Cup, the official ball? So we had the uh, brazuca ball, which was uh, this nice, colorful ball here back in uh, 2014 in Brazil. Yeah. And now in Russia, we're going to be using the Telstar 18 ball, uh, both of which are made by Adidas. And you can tell the Telstar has a black and white uh, color scheme. It honors the 1970 ball uh, that was the first Adidas ball, was also called a Telstar and the black and white back then, of course, helped people see the ball better on the television screens when wow. not everybody had a color color screen. So, oh, interesting. Uh, pay homage to the past a little bit with this color scheme. Yeah, and that's you, where the uh, the similarities end, apart from the fact it's round. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Because the, the original Telstar, 32 panels, hand-stitched leather, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. The traditional ball, of course, has the 32 panels. Uh, you got the 20 uh, hexagons and the 32, or sorry, the 12 pentagons. Right. So you got 32 panels. This thing only has six panels on it. So we're, we're getting the panel number down to an extremely low number to a, approaching a really uh, perfect sphere. So can you tell us what, why these panels and why this? Because when you're looking at something with 32 panels to make up a round ball, you're going through an awful lot to get to a sphere. So, you know, it's this, the technology wasn't available in 70. And I think there was, um, the professor might back this up. Traditionally balls came with sort of pentagonal and hexagonal shapes. Okay. And an awful lot of stitching and all for that. Now we have technology when you can thermally seal a ball and make it. Airtight. That's right. Yeah. These seams are now thermally bonded on the ball. So there's uh, no stitching not- at all. No, they're, they're not hand-stitched like they used to be. And if you think about how difficult it is to make a sphere uh, out of you know materials, cloth, leather, whatever it is, yeah. it, it's a challenge. And the old 32-panel uh, design was a pretty good uh, design for a sphere. You know, that's our Epcot Center, the Bucky Balls, that carbon-60 atom. The, the spherical balls that we had in the past, uh, that was a very good design, but these very uh, strange panels that we've got now, these circuitous shapes for the panels, help us get down the panel number all the way to six. So now why panels at all? There are plenty of balls that uh, you look at a basketball. I mean, that, that has panels too, but you and even baseballs have panels, but that's for construction. So since you now have thermal sealing, why have any panels at all? 
Well, you've got a bladder inside of this ball, and you've got to be able to get the bladder inside of this, and you've got to be able to ensure that the ball stays round a spherical shape during play. So when it's being kicked and headed and rolling around on the pitch, it has to maintain a pretty spherical shape during play. It's very challenging to do that without any seam. So you, you, you certainly need an opening to get the air into the ball. Right. So, like, so for instance, if I had <clears throat> two two um, semicircle hemispheres and I put the bladder inside and then I just have one thermally bonded seal all the way around, why wouldn't I use something like that to have just a totally smooth ball? So the seams do provide a little bit of structure to the spherical shape. Uh, the, the type of ball you're describing is going to be like a cricket ball. You're going to have two hemispheres coming together. Uh, really good cricket balls actually have an extra seam on them as well. But the seams actually help provide that spherical shape a little bit better. Okay. Uh, once you start denting a panel or something, there's no way for that to uh, get pulled back out into the spherical shape. The thing is, we go back to Jubilani, South Africa 2010. The, yes. the ball was hated by yes. the players um, because whether or not the factor of games were being played at sea level and games were being played at a mile high altitude uh, affecting all sorts of things. But the design of the ball meant it, it knuckleballed at uh, lower speeds, am I correct? So the real problem with Jabalani is the so-called drag crisis that Chuck loves. Oh, you know I do, girl. <clears throat> oh yeah. So the, the oh wait, you meant crisis. like you meant like uh, in physics the drag crisis. In physics. Oh uh, okay, because right. my drag crisis is completely different. We all know that it's still a crisis. <laughs> yes, it's a crisis because my drag crisis is like now. How am I supposed to p perform in these heels when these? Uh, you know they are way too tight. So. And, so, so, and breeze. <laughs> so the, the physics drag crisis that we're talking about is where the, the flow over the ball changes as you increase the ball speed from what's called laminar flow to turbulent flow. Uh -huh. And the, the problem with Javalani is that crisis where that transition happens was right in the middle of the speed range where you saw a lot of free kicks and corner kicks. What was the great design of the... Uh, Brazuca ball four years later is that they move that drag crisis back to a lower speed so that essentially all of the kicks that took place at the corner kicks and the free kick speed range were in this turbulent speed range. So uh, you did not have this transition taking taking place during the middle of a kick. However, looks, how look, like, look, look like a beach ball sometimes being kicked. Oh yeah, it was horrible. Uh, however, the Brazuca has now found itself in another iteration called Telstar 18. We've changed the shape of the panels as we highlighted. That then must mean something to the aerodynamics. All I know is it seems very much as if FIFA, the, the world governing body, have decided that they don't like the goalkeepers and they like scoreless draws, scoreless games even less. So they're doing their best to make life difficult for the goalkeepers. And the best goalkeepers in the world, like David De Gea and to Stegen from Germany, have come out and said, we don't like Telstar 18. Are they being overly sensitive or do they actually have a point? Well, I think every time the World Cup rolls around and the new ball is out, keep in mind, this is $160. You know, it's 100 pounds in Great Britain. This mm. is not a cheap ball. No. And, 
and it makes Adidas an, an enormous amount of money by selling these balls. They they fly off the shelves every time the World Cup comes out. So there's certainly a marketing uh, desire for having a new ball every time. And every time the new balls come out, the players have to adjust and they have to get used to something new. So there's always going to be a little bit of uh, squabbling. I don't think they're going to find the Telstar ball anywhere near as bad as the Javelani was eight years ago. But it's got a different... The, pa- the panels are a different shape, the same number in six, but there's a raised stippling, a raised pattern on the surface of the ball that is different to the yeah. brazooka. How on earth is that going to make any sort of difference? So the total seam length on this brazooka, if I take the 2014 ball and I actually measure the entire seam length all the way around, uh-huh. is about three and a third meters. If I do the same thing with the Telstar 18, it's four and a third meters. It's a whole extra meter, more than three feet long of seam. So to make up for that added roughness of the ball, what they had to do was they made the actual seam height and the seam width on the Telstar a little bit narrower, a little bit shallower, and they actually made the texturing a little less tall than on the uh, brazooka ball. So they compensated for the added seam length by having these crazier looking uh, panels by having slightly less roughened surface and you get about the same aerodynamic effects by doing that. They offset each other. So how do these balls compare to <clears throat> movement in flight to the original Telstar, which is like what people really, when you think of a soccer ball, yeah. That's what you're thinking of. The guy too iconic. That's, yeah, that's your. That is the one when you say soccer or football. Like, that's the ball that comes into your mind. So, how would these b- balls perform different? I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> how Indeed. would they focus? <laughs> Get your game head on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're having another drag crisis. I'm having you? a total drag crisis right now. <laughs> sorry, professor. I know. We have, anyway, we have, we have an errant pupil. <laughs> how would these balls perform differently, uh, one to the next? So if you look back to the stitched balls of the past, they did not maintain their spherical shape as well. They didn't perform as well when, the, mm. when there would be some wetness on the pitch, some weathering of the ball would be a lot faster. These thermally bonded balls, the technology is now such that they can maintain their spherical shape better. They keep the water out better. Uh, they're going to be much more up to, to the high uh, – standards you would expect for a soccer ball for much longer during the game. Do you think this, the, the new design for Telstar 18 is going to affect the style of football we see played by the teams in the World Cup? Because the Jubilani certainly did, because yep. it was flying around. So you, you weren't getting the longer passes. Players who were hitting power shots in a game found that once it left their boot, they had basically no control over what would happen. and The goalkeepers could might as well sit in the stand because they didn't know which way it was going either. We- well, look how well Spain did with their short passing and that excellent passing game. I mean, that, that's what they were able to do with that Javelotti ball. Will Will Telstar 18 have a similar effect or will it be more egalitarian for all styles of football? So my, my colleagues in Japan have done some wind tunnel studies of these and I've done some uh, trajectory analysis with that wind tunnel work here at Lynchburg College. And what I found was the Telstar ball for a really hard hit ball is going to travel about eight to nine percent less distance than the brazooka ball. So there'll be a slight reduction in the uh, long range kicks. 
And that's probably going to be noticed by the goalkeepers who are really trying to hit the ball down the pitch at great distance. Maybe for a really long free kick, they might notice a slight reduction in the in the overall distance. Let me ask you, when it comes to gambling, because it's a big deal for the World Cup, a lot of money is being bet on these games. And it's over a long period and of time. And it's over a very long period of time. So is this information made available or have you ever thought about selling this information because like that's where i'm really going with this like we could really get this information out there to degenerate gamblers it's very important well, monetizing the good I'm professors just saying, work. your work is worth something professor your work is really worth something we can get this information out there because this ball design is going to be good for some teams and going to be really bad for for others depending on your style of play isn't that true so the 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 paper we've got published is going to be online very very soon and uh, i'm happy to provide a copy to anyone who's interested yeah i've I've already read the paper and you're telling me we're giving this stuff away for free doc is that what you're telling me it it, it will be online at the uh journal of sports engineering and technology very soon are you even an american sir are you even an american you are giving your work away for nothing that's called science, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and we like it. And the world's a better place for it. All right. Well, let's not get too heavily into your paper because we want to take a break sure. and we will come back and we will go into depth about your findings with uh, Telstar 18. So, Which who knew you could get that much data off of a ball in a wind tunnel? You guys are, you guys are insane. You know that, right? Like, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> no, they're scientists. Oh, and if you put I'm those a- sort of things in front of a scientist, they're going to be very, very analytical. Professor, please don't get angry. We'll take a break. Um, <laughs> more more in-depth and uh, less drag crisis when we get back. Uh, yes. Our good friend, Professor Eric Goff. Yes, Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing With Science. And Chuck's uh, just nipped out, uh, got the uh, polish for his tiara. Yes, I did. And uh, we're changing the color of the heels. Right. And uh, we're, out of my drag we are hopefully coming out of that stage of Chuck's life. You but we coming can... out. Well, yes, I am, Chuck. <sighs> loud and proud. Okay, we still haven't really overcome <laughs> that speed hump, have we? Uh, right. Just published a new paper. Let's focus, shall yeah, we? Let's get this back. is what the good professor, Professor Eric Goff, our very good friend, has done. And it is about Telstar 18, the official World Cup ball for Russia 2018. Yeah. Uh, so, so the hazard, as we said, we've got a bit of heritage back to 1970 in Mexico in the sense that it's black and it's white. But that's just that's about, about the, it. That's where it ends, right? Yeah. So, Professor, so I, I read in the paper that you sent the ball to Japan. Uh, one, why? Two, what kind of wind tunnel can you actually test a soccer ball in? And let me just say, for those who are listening, I'm sorry because I jumped ahead. The professor sent the ball to Japan to be tested in a wind tunnel. They may have had balls already there. And they probably did. He didn't just fly it out. Maybe he didn't fly balls. the ball over. Maybe he just told them, go down to your Japanese Walmart, pick up a Telstar 18, okay, <clears throat> and throw it into your wind tunnel. But what I really want to know, because I've seen wind tunnels and they're cavernous, number one, for the most part. They're used for um, they're used for aeronautics and for cars. And, and so cars and all sorts of things, but there we yeah, are. But, but what kind of wind tunnel can you actually effectively test a soccer ball in? Professor? So 
the, the beauty of being a scientist is that the one characteristic you need to be good at is you have to be like a child. You have to have things to play with. And when you get something like a brand new World Cup ball, you got all kinds of ideas racing through your head about how you want to test this thing. So my colleagues in Japan will take the, the Telstar bar, ball and you have to destroy it. You have to open up the back part of this, attach a rod in it, and then you blow air from the wind tunnel over the ball at various speeds. Ah. And what, what we're looking at is we change the speed of this from a very low air speed to a very high air speed on the ball is we're trying to figure out what kind of drag it feels, if it feels any sideways forces that are going to lead to knuckling effects. And there are certainly some knuckling effects that you're going to get out of these balls when they're not spinning. To make a ball once it's kicked not rotate you're going to have to put an awful lot of force directly through it so as it travels almost as a still object. That's right. So if if you kick it right through the center, Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to lead to very little spin. If you move your your boot off to the side, off off center, then you're going to get the ball to start spinning more. So if if I am beginning to strike the ball on either side, I will naturally give it some rotation – And you're saying once I do that as a player, there is a greater capacity for it to knuckle in flight? No, no. I'm saying it it will knuckle when there's very little spin. So even when there's uh, no spin at all, you can still get some sideways movement of the ball because the air comes off the ball slightly asymmetrically. And can we uh, remind our listeners, maybe they didn't hear our other show about the soccer balls that we've done. When you talk about spin, uh, can you give us the the breakdown of what spin is doing to a ball as it moves through the air from one uh, over a distance? Sure. So as the as the ball is spinning, so if it's spinning, uh, if I look down on it, it's spinning counterclockwise yep. and it's moving away from me. I'm going to see the left side of the ball whipping air back a little farther than on the right side of the ball. It's analogous to looking in the back of a boat at a rudder and you go to turn the rudder and you see the wake of the water turning sideways. Well, if the boat pushes the water in one direction, Newton's third law says the the water's got to push the boat in the other direction. It's the same thing with the air. If the air comes off the back of the ball in one direction, the air's got to be pushing the ball in the other direction. So if I look down at a uh, counterclockwise spinning ball, it's going to want to go from right to left when I'm looking down on it, moving away from me. Okay, so now with my player's head on, and you've just given me that information about when I'm curling the ball or when I'm hitting it with so much power it doesn't rotate. If I'm hitting it with power, I am now in a sort of free kick situation, maybe 20, 25 yards from goal, where I am looking not to bend it around the wall or over the wall, but I am looking to basically blast a hole in the back of the net. The sort of thing Cristiano Ronaldo does. And they have the way of striking the ball with the aperture directly onto it so as it then deforms the shape of the ball will we see even more effect because that's going to be something that excites the viewers that's going to be something that gives goalkeepers a fantastically big problem yeah so if you're really kicking for speed and your your boots going mostly through the center of the ball you're going to get very little rotation but the the surface is not completely symmetric you're going to get that 
boundary layer of air separating in the back of the ball slightly asymmetrically and you can cause the ball to start wobbling a little bit through the air and yeah the goalkeepers are not going to enjoy that so that wobble it, it literally is a knuckleball yeah at that point oh, yes. like, like in oh, yeah. baseball what you call a knuckleball that's that's the kind of movement that you're going to get that kind of you know back and forth you don't know where it's going type of movement and just like a baseball you a, a good knuckleball that's thrown in baseball you want to have a good uh, half a rotation or so on the way to the plate so that you can get certain seams and certain smooth areas exposed to the air alternating and that's what causes the ball on a knuckleball to, to wiggle. Kind of wiggle same thing with the, the the soccer ball you get a slight rotation of the ball and you can change that asymmetry where the ball's air is coming off and that'll cause it to wobble a little bit. Wow. Did your findings produce anything else? Because I'm just thinking about the mentality of basically every football player. How can I use this to my advantage and win? How can I score goals? How can I make something happen that is advantageous to me as an individual, to us as a team? Did you come up with any other findings you think may have some effect on play or an individual with free kicks corners is another one you mentioned so we've tested balls from the speed range of about 16 miles per hour to about 78 miles an hour and we've got the whole uh, host of data for the aerodynamic coefficients for these balls and what we've what i had mentioned before is if you look at the the high speed kicks the Telstar is going to go a little less far than compared to Brazuca for these really long kicks. Uh, you can certainly get some orientations of the ball where you get a little bit more sideways movement than some other orientations. Uh, it, it's just it's it, the challenge in a wind tunnel when you break the ball is that you can only study one orientation at a time. So we certainly don't have a whole you know series of orientations for the ball in the wind tunnel. It just it takes too many balls to do that. Mm. Here's, here's a thought for you. Does the ball contain a microchip of any kind? Uh, I have heard that you can put, I, I believe Telstar 18, you can do that. You can have a, a ball inside of it and you can actually use a GPS tracker to figure out where the ball is. Mm. Ah, because we've we've encountered this with Wilson, the guys who make the American footballs, and they have that GPS tracking and therefore you can get telemetrics. I'm just wondering if... That technology is inside Telstar 18. Who's going to be getting access to it? FIFA or the countries that are playing? Hmm. Or is it? I, I don't know. It, it, it's very difficult to get the technology information from Adidas because, of course, their information's proprietary. Right. And, you know, they don't want. The well, there's your answer. Know. I think you just answered the question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, Adidas you know, is is the one that's going to end up any, with anybody, all the information. Anybody with a conspiracy theory mind will tell you now that if there's technology inside the ball, someone's going to be trying to find a way to hack it. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And you know who's going to do that? Tom Brady. Come on. <laughs> You come on! Happen. You've changed sports <laughs> and blamed Brady. I, I you think like, the little uh, GPS is going to start deflating the the soccer ball. Just here oh, just oh, okay. Enough. So just deflation, enough. direction. 
Oh dear! Come on, if there's tech in there, someone's going to be thinking, "I want to hack." Yeah, I gotta hack. It's a challenge. Stuff. Someone somewhere's thinking, "I'm up for this challenge." Even if they don't need the information, somebody's going to hack it yeah. just for the hell of it. You know that, you know, isn't that right? Yeah. Hey, why change the ball at all? What, yeah. what the hell is happening that they do this every? Why? Well, I think the the professor touched on the fact money. that. <laughs> thank you. Really? Really? That's big it. money. So, the, how many balls are manufactured a year? Do, uh, uh, as a question, I'm, I've just thought that and thinking you may not know, but do you have a idea rough, rough uh, ballpark figure ballpark figure well, I mean you got to think you got a billion people watching the the world cup or that are certainly interested in it and I mean even if you take it down to a you know a, a percentage 1% or percent. you're talking about hundreds of thousands yeah. of these balls that are going to be flying so, off the shelves at 160 bucks a, a pop hey listen it makes sense to me i mean uh, you know the nfl received a little flack um as teams there was a point where all the teams were changing their uniforms yeah and then they figured out, oh, they're not updating their uniforms. They're creating sales at you it's know merchandising. sporting goods yeah. stores. That's all they're doing. It's 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 they're they're increasing their merchandising. Oh, well, soccer teams have done this for years. I mean, some soccer teams will have three different uniforms. Wow. They'll have one of which they play in their home venue, uh-huh. and if they play away from home, there will be another one. But that second change of uniform might clash. So oh. they have a third. And guess what? People buy them. I'm All sure three. they will. And they will be, each season it will be different. So, therefore so you have one just, home, that's your home colors, and then you have two yeah. away uniforms just in case your team's colors clash with the other team's yeah. colors. Yeah. Wow. Or it's just a cynical marketing ploy to make money. Now, you know I can't hate on a, on a costume change. Now, no, you know no, you can't. Let it go. <laughs> so, Professor, do we, do we have any synergy between – the ball being manufactured as it is, and then a range of footwear that comes out that might be more inclined to get the best out of the ball? Or are we going too far into a rabbit hole with this? Yeah, like- I think the main choice that the players are using with their, their boot is going to be the, the playing surface. I mean, they're going to want to know how much grip they're going to want to need. I mean, most of the time they're running on the surface as opposed to actually having contact with the ball. I mean, true, true. The, when you get these stats about running, you know, 10 kilometers during a game or something, I mean, the percentage of the time they're actually in contact with the ball is pretty small. So I, I think the interaction with the, the turf and the, the pitch is the most important. No, I just wondered when, I mean, Adidas make footwear as well as they do make other sorts of things. But yeah. you, I know the Predator range was always driven for manufacture to impart power, but more accuracy hmm. through the ball. So I, I just wondered if there was this sort of connected thought process that new ball, new boots, but the boots will be more beneficial used with this if you ball. Use them with that ball. That's a good idea, yeah. actually. And guess what? Now that you said it, they'll, they'll probably do that. They've probably done another that. Money maker. Um, let me ask you this: One, do they talk to the players when they do? They ever consult the players before they do a ball change? And two, why? Why do they not change the size of the balls? Is that just like oh, not if you, standardized? Yeah, it's standardized. It is a standard but, size. So I'm just saying, like if you're if you're changing the panels and all that kind of stuff, why not make it bigger or smaller? And what would that do to if you made the ball bigger or smaller? So if you make the ball bigger, then. The, the larger area of the ball would lead to more air resistance on it. If you make it smaller, then, of course, you'd have even smaller air resistance. The, the ball is just about just under a pound in, in weight, 
and the the size of the ball is fairly standard. I mean, if you made a change like the actual size of the ball, that would drastically alter the the game that's played right now. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, subtle aerodynamic differences are one things for players to get used to, but if you change the weight and size of the ball, uh, I mean, hand a softball to a baseball player and say, "Here, use this." <laughs> it's just it's completely different. And they, you and have they to, tell you, and they tell you, "I play a real sport." I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you made a, a soccer ball, a football larger, then you would have to acquire a new set of skills to be able to work with it. Because right. the way you kick it, the way you control and run with it, you would have to readjust. You would have to adapt to that. I'd like to revisit that bit where you said about weight. How much lighter is Telstar 18 to the original Telstar, if you know? Oh, they're very close in weight. Uh, the, the modern balls tend to be just a, a tiny bit heavier uh, than the, the current balls right now. I mean, I think this is about 0.95 pounds. Uh, the older balls tend to be just very slightly less than How that. interesting. There's not a great deal of difference in the weight, although we've got every technical innovation in the, in the new ball, mm. yet the weight is the same. What happens if we made it lighter? Does it just become a smaller beach ball? That's right. I mean, the 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 drag force that acts on it is not does not have anything to do with the ball's weight, but of course the acceleration does. So if you made the ball lighter, then it's going to have more acceleration, and you are going to get more of that beach ball type effect. So do they ever talk to the players about any? I mean, these are all <clears throat> these I seem think, to be that all of these things really affect the game, um, primarily the players. Do they ever consult them, or is that not necessary, Professor? You. You have a thought on that, because I know I have one, but I'd like to hear yours first, please. I don't know that Adidas you know, especially discusses the actual World Cup design of the ball with the players. I mean, the idea is you can change the panel design and you can change this, the, the way in which the seams are oriented or the texturing. But at the end of the day, you want the ball to behave aerodynamically very much like what they're used to, uh, which is why Javalani was a problem. Mm. So... You know, you could roll this thing out ahead of time, and of course they're going to be able to play with it before they get to the World Cup. But you roll this thing out, and you you get the opinion of the players, and you're always going to get some squawking. But I mean, as long as it behaves aerodynamically like what they're used to, they just have to get used to a slightly different feel from the texturing and all that. But you know, I don't I don't know that they consult with the players too much. I'm with the professor. I don't think there's a great deal of conversation when it comes to the ball. Mm -hmm. In the end, it's the same for both yeah, teams. I was going to say, everybody's it's playing not, with the same it's ball. It's not a variable. So there's no advantage for anybody. No. There's, so it's not as if one team is playing with a different ball to the other. It's the same ball all the time. When it comes to footwear, mm -hmm. the players have far more say in terms of design, what's good, how they feel, what they want, where they see it. And that then sort of, and this crosses a lot of sports, particularly with the, the big brands. But uh, when it comes to the ball, I think it's basically, this is the ball you'll be playing with, deal with it. Oh man, that would be so cool then. You have a World Cup where surprise ball. No team knows what ball they're going to be using oh, oh, for that particular game. Oh, that's a different spot. That's a, I'm um, telling you, you that would what? be now awesome. I'm inter now I'm interested. That would be awesome. And so the teams come out on the field and they're just like, oh, damn, Jubilani. Oh, oh. Or the Jab Star 22. Ex yeah, like you have no oh. idea what ball you're going to be using when the game. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. If you were the, if you were the head of FIFA... You would probably become the most hated man 
not just on the planet, ever. Ever. I want that job. <laughs> I thought their previous head of FIFA was already the most hated man on the planet. I think Chuck would surpass him if he were able to introduce that kind of legislation with the board. Oh, right. my God. Nothing would make me happier. <laughs> right. And on that note, I have to say thank you, Professor. It's been fabulous to explore your findings with Telstar 18, the official World Cup football for Russia 2018. And, yeah, thank you to... Jeff Saunders. Yeah, Jeff Saunders, what a great time. Wow, Beyond Sports, what they're doing yeah. has really raised the yeah, bar. They're, they're, headed, they're headed to uh, the infinity and beyond. <laughs> oh, oh, God, that was awful. That was just terrible. Oh, but I at least Chuck's happy. Right, I've been Gary O'Reilly. And I'm, I've been ashamed of myself. I'm Chuck Nice. <laughs> and this has been Playing With Science, and we love Chuck. And we will love you, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you to our guests. It's been a pleasure. 